The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Today marks a brand new beginning in some ways, a brand new sermon series we're bringing to you based on our gospel lessons, and we're calling this sermon series Treasured. And that really is a pregnant word for us because it brings all kinds of meanings. First of all, it means that we are treasured by God. Think of how much God has treasured us in Christ. He gave His only Son to bring us to the Father. We are at peace with God. We are treasured beyond our wildest imaginations. But being treasured like that, being treasured like that will change It will change what we treasure. It will turn upside down the things and the relationships that we have so that we learn to treasure what God treasures. Are you ready for that? We are treasured and we will learn to treasure what God treasures. And this morning we will learn to treasure marriage like you have never seen before and family. So I'm going to ask you to please rise as Jesus gives us his teaching. This is from Mark chapter 10. Please stand out of respect for the words and works of Jesus. This is from Mark chapter 10 as we begin to treasure family and marriage. Some Pharisees came and tested him by saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become One flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I went to the library a couple weeks ago, and I looked for a book. And maybe you know what that's like, where you just 
you just want a, a book to read, maybe something that'll help you sleep at night. And, and the librarians sort of have some of those books that are turned, so you'll notice them. And, and there was a book sitting there on the shelf by an Indian author, and it said, Pulitzer Prize winning short stories. And I thought, well, that's, that's a good book to pick up. The author's name was Jumpar Lahiri. I read a story, and I could not put, pick it, put it down. It was the very first short story in the book. And it was a story called A Temporary Matter. Let me tell you the story. There's an Indian couple named Shoba and Shakuru. Shakuru was a graduate student, and he was busy writing his doctoral thesis. And Shoba was a proofreader. Every day she'd go to a publishing company and read texts, and she'd get out her highlighters and, and highlight words and circle them when they were wrong. And, and for months, this couple hardly spoke to each other. A very sad thing had happened in, in their lives. They, she had gotten pregnant, and, and as the pregnancy was coming to an end, she went into labor while, Sho, while Shakuru was off at an academic conference, and they lost the baby. And their grief was immense. You can only imagine. Their grief was immense. Shakuru wasn't even there when she lost the baby. And so every night, <laughs> Shakuru would sink, sit in front of his blinking computer screen, pretending. He would pretend to write his doctoral dissertation. And, and Shoba, she would sit in front of the, of the TV screen, pretending to highlight things and proofread things like she was supposed to do. But there was really almost nothing between them anymore. And then they received a notice that was posted on the door. It said, a temporary matter. A temporary matter. The electric company, each night at 8 p.m., exactly at 8 p.m., they were going to turn off the power. This was up in Boston. They would turn off the power so that they could fix some damage on the lines that had been there. And so every night, Shakuru would sit down and cook supper for his wife. And then they'd light the candles right at 8 p.m. and they'd begin to talk. And this is what they did the entire week. They began to play a game, actually. They, they started to play a game and they said, let's tell each other things that we don't know about each other. And so this is what they did. They, they, they talked about the secret pictures of this model that, that Shakuru had stuffed into this book. And she told about how she had felt about him during their first date. And, and they had this amazing time during candlelight all week long. And then on Friday, the lights came on early. And Shakuru was sad that it was over. So he turned off the lights and he said, can we play the game one last time? And, and Shoba said, yes. And, but she said, I want to turn the lights on this time so you can see my face. I have to tell you something. And they turned on the lights, and she looked in Shakuru's eyes, and she said, I've rented another apartment. I'm moving out. And they both wept for all 
that they now knew about each other. That line of that short story is exactly how Lahiri wrote it. Because it was burned into my memory. You know, it haunted me, that story. Does it haunt you? It made me, it made me think. It made me think about many things. It made me think about how, you know, in, in this technological age, how these soft, glowing screens can be more attractive than the spouse sitting next to us at 8 p.m. at night. It, 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 made me, it, it made me think about how time can wear on a marriage sort of like waves erode a beach. And suddenly our marriages are cold and without feeling. It, it made me think about how suffering and pain can, can do this thing where, where it drives a wedge between a man and a woman like nothing else can. And then, and then it's like, well, can we recover from this or should we, just, should we just give up on it? You know, what were Shoba and, and Shikuru supposed to do? And, and what, what caused them such a brilliant, passionate love to, to sort of just, just you know, be, be put out? And why weren't they praying together? Why weren't they talking together at 8 p.m. at night? You know that story, it, it, it haunted me. And maybe, maybe it haunts you too. Maybe it needs to haunt you. Because I think sometimes we ask the question of the Pharisees far too much. You know, we get to that point so easily and, and, and we think, you know, what does God say? It, is it okay? Would it, would it be okay for me to get a divorce? It, would it be okay to, for me to, to send my husband away? Would it, would it be okay for me to send my wife away because what was there at the beginning is no longer there? Should, is it okay for me really to just take my husband out and leave him on, on the curb like he's a piece of trash? You know, is it okay for me to, 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 to be so involved in my phone that, that I just abandon my family? You know, is it okay in God's sight for me to send my family and my spouse away with a piece of paper, with my technology or whatever it may be? I think we ask that question too quickly. And Jesus what Jesus does here is he answers that question for us, doesn't he? Is it okay? He answers that question definitively, and he tells us a story. He actually goes back, and he tells us a story, and he says, let me tell you what it was like from the very beginning. Let me tell you what marriage was like in its origin story. This is what God did. He plunged his hands into the dirt, and he formed a man. But the man had no life. And so he got down on his hands and on his knees, and in great love, the father breathed the breath of life into him, and his lungs began to move up and down, and color came into his skin. 
God had created a man, but the man was alone. And it was not good yet. So the man, so, the, so God put the man into a deep sleep. This is not like a normal sleep, but a deep sleep. And he took a rib out of the man. And he shaped and formed a woman and breathed life into her. And he woke the man up and he brings this beautiful woman to the man and the man's jaw just drops. And for the first time in Scripture, there is poetry. And the man says, this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And the two became one. And Jesus says, do you want to know if God says it's alright for you to get a divorce? He says, I'll answer your question. What God has joined together let no man, let no woman, let no one separate. Can a man hate his own body? Can a woman look at her leg and hate it and then cut it off? Can a man look at his own arm and say, I don't need this anymore, it's kind of ugly? And just get rid of it. You cannot do that, Jesus says. God's design for marriage is that these two people would be there through thick and thin. And that when things get hard, when things get difficult, that there would be one person, that there would be at least one person in this world who would have your back. And be there with you and stand there with you. And it isn't that... Designed for marriage. Devastatingly beautiful. I want to tell you another story. And this one, this one is mm, incredibly romantic. But in a way, maybe you don't think of. <sighs> I want to tell you about Carl and Emma. My grandparents, it wasn't the perfect marriage, and I would not hold them up as the model for marriage. One of the things we used to laugh about is, is that my grandpa, and I'm not proud of this, <laughs> had a phrase he would say, will ya Emma? That's kind of how we knew my grandpa. Will ya Emma? And we'd laugh about that as kids. She put up with it. She did more than put up with it. My grandpa, he, he was the kind of guy that um, one time he took me out fishing in Minnesota. Maybe I've told you this story before, and I didn't catch a fish. I caught him. I, I literally caught him. Uh, I casted the, the pole in such a way that, that the hook grabbed him right here in the bicep, and he let me have it. But he loved me. And my grandma was the type of person who we would show up and she would make these beautiful span Swedish, Swedish pancakes, you know, the kind of like the real thin ones, and you put the, the, the sugar on the top, the powdered sugar and the fruit, just scrumptious. And these were two people 
that loved each other. They never showed it in public. What I remember most about Carl and Emma was this, though. It was, it was the way their marriage lasted. At the end of his life, my grandpa got Alzheimer's, and, and maybe you don't know this about an Alzheimer's patient, but the way that you die from Alzheimer's isn't from memory loss. It's actually because your trachea hardens, and you can no longer eat, and you can no longer swallow. And, and so my grandpa had to get a feeding tube. During those days and weeks when my grandpa was dying, you know where Emma was? Holding his hand. Every time I'd show up, you know, every couple of weeks I'd show up and, and I'd say, Grandpa, how are you doing? He couldn't answer me. And there was Emma, just holding his hand. She was there to the very end. Holding his hands until his chest heaved for its last. I gotta tell you, when he died, When he died, she wept for all that they had been through. They had been there for each other. It was not perfect. But they had been there for each other through thick and thin. Now that is love, right? That is romantic. All the way to the end. God's design for marriage. We need that, don't we? We need people to be with us. We need people to forgive us. We need people to back us even when we don't deserve to be backed. And now no longer am I talking about marriage, am I? Now I'm talking about Jesus. Because whether you're single or married, you have that one person. You have that one person who will forgive it all, who will sacrifice up to his very last breath just for you. He will walk for it with you. He will forgive you. He has your very back in every single situation. And you know what this does to the situation? The relationship that we call marriage, it changes everything. Because we are called to reflect that in our marriages. You know when marriage is at its best? When the husband forgives his wife. What do we see there? We see Christ and His limitless forgiveness. When, when the wife is faithful to her husband through thick and thin, what do we see there? We see Christ, who just will not quit on us. What do we see in two people who do not have the perfect marriage and who do not always see eye to eye, but they're going to stick it out and they're going to make it as happy as it can be? What do we see there? We see Christ, who puts those two people together in great compassion. That is God's great love for us. That is that sacrificial love that we learned all about and that we have received through Jesus' cross. So what does that do to our relationships when we understand that we have been treasured that way by God? Well, it teaches us to treasure 
holy matrimony. Now, that's going to mean different things for different people. So I want to talk first to the children in the room. Children, I want to talk first to the children in the room whose parents are married at home. I want you to help your parents treasure their marriage. And so when they need to have, when they need to have an important conversation, let them have that conversation. And maybe even more importantly, children, I don't want you to pit mom and dad against each other. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But dad said this. We're not going to do that, are we? Because mom and dad are married and they are together. I want to talk to the single people in the room for a second. Those of you who are not married. This is going to mean a lot of things for you as we think about holy marriage. One thing it's definitely going to mean is that we don't act like we're married when we're not married. We will keep marriage and the marital bed for marriage alone because marriage is not a joke. It is deadly serious. It is till death do us part. But even more than that, as single people, I want you to know that being a single person is a beautiful and it is an honorable thing. And you know that because married people are very distracted people. But a single person can focus on their relationship to the Lord. They can pray in ways that married people cannot. The Apostle Paul said so. I want to talk then to the divorced people in the room. And just with the divorced people, when you are divorced, there is a great danger in believing a lie that you are not lovable. And that the reason why you are divorced is because you were not good enough for them. And I want you to say to yourself, that is a lie. Because your God loves you. He loves you so much that He gave everything for you. He gave His only Son. You cannot believe it for even a moment. Then I want to say this to the divorced people. If God gives you another chance to be married... You know what to do now. Right? And finally, finally, I want to talk just to the married people in the room. Just to the married people in the room. And I want you to think about this. And I think this is where Jumpar Lahiri can help us. At 8 o'clock at night, what are you doing? Because love in a marriage will either go up or down. That's true. On a daily basis. You either love your spouse more or less on that day. At 8 o'clock at night, what are you doing? And maybe ask yourself this question at 8 o'clock at night, tonight, what will you be doing? Will you put the candles out and have a candlelight dinner <laughs> and ask yourselves all the things that you never knew about each other? In Jesus' name, I hope that's what you do. Amen. Amen.